0: You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy.
1: Thank you, Max, and welcome to today's podcast. We are joined today by Jalen Butler, an ACLU of Illinois client and a student at Eastern Illinois University. In February of 2020, the ACLU filed a lawsuit on behalf of Jalen, a collegiate swimmer, who was confronted by police when he stepped off his team bus alongside a highway in Western Illinois. As you will hear, Jalen's life was threatened all because of a case of racial profiling. Jalen's story is really just one example of the disproportionate numbers of stops and arrests that target black men in particular and people of color in general. We all have seen video of police using excessive and even lethal force against Black men, including George Floyd. But beyond that, we know that police target Black people for other kinds of enforcement. In Illinois during 2019, for example, police were nearly three times more likely to stop a Black motorist when compared to a white driver. And police were way more likely To ask that black motorist for permission to search their car. And more recently, just in the city of Chicago, after Illinois implemented a law legalizing the personal use of marijuana, black people have accounted for more than 70% of the arrests for violating the new law, despite representing a little less than one third of the city's population. Jalen Butler is a young black man who was targeted by police in an incredibly excessive fashion. The lawsuit that Jalen brought has now been resolved. So we wanted to take this opportunity to sit down with Jalen and talk about his experience and his hopes for the future. But we're also joined by Rachel Murphy, a staff attorney with our Police Practices Project, who was part of the legal team representing Jalen. So Jalen and Rachel, Thanks so much for taking time to join us today.
2: We're really, really happy that you're both here. Uh, thank you for having me on as well as my mom here too.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: You're welcome. And, you know, we're glad to have your mom with us as well. So Jalen, I want to just start by giving people, I guess, a little sense of of who you are. And let me just pick out the one noteworthy thing. You're a swimmer. I am. So. Tell me about how you got into swimming and how did you end up in Eastern Illinois
2: swimming? It was kind of a long backstory. I had a, how would we say it? Underlying medical history that kind of forced me into this well, sports of non-contact. So swimming and track were the two choices and I've always loved the water. So I instinctively chose swimming and then um, just kind of never looked back. And then me and my, me and my mom, we took took two college visits, one to UMSL, University of Missouri, St. Louis, and then the second visit was to Eastern Illinois, and it just felt right being there. So I, just in terms of your swimming,
1: like what is your best event? What's the stroke you like the most?
2: Well, I don't necessarily like it, but butterfly would probably be, uh, it's my number one stroke. Um I used to actually very much despise it. Um, I did not start off as a butterfly by any means. I couldn't even finish two laps of butterfly um, when I originally started out swimming, and then it just kind of kind of happened.
1: you know, I, let me just say for the listeners, you and I have met before we did a lot of work around your case. A- and the first time we ever met, you told a story about your father sitting down as as a black man and telling you about how to interact with the police. And I wonder, what, what did he tell you? What did he say to you in, in that? I wonder if you can share that.
2: Well, he gave me all of these different examples of what not to do and how to carry myself when I'm out and about with friends or if I'm just out and about by myself. At the time, I thought it was just, you know, you know, your parents tell you to do this and that, and you, don't, you let it go in, not one ear, not the next. But, you know, as I look back on it, he was actually giving me uh, life skills, things to do when times got kind of rough. And um, I remember one that my both of my parents, my mom included, used to tell me was, never walk out the house in like, you know, a ruggedy shirt, like tank top or with the do-rag or don't have your music blasting while you're driving. And I thought it was like, why can't I do that? Looking back on it, it was because so they wouldn't, I wouldn't give off the impression that I was up to no good or I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing or just so I wouldn't, I guess, look uh, like I was a troublemaker. Thankfully so, since they told me that I used to battle with them a lot about wanting to, you know, do what I wanted because I thought that it's my life I should be able to, but thankfully I didn't and it, you know, I never had to run into any problems.
1: Those lessons or those suggestions, you know, probably really didn't prepare you for the events that led to your lawsuit in some way. So just to set this up, you're on a team bus, you're headed back from a big swim meet in South Dakota, you pass the Illinois state line, and the bus pulls over to the side of the road. I wonder if you can sort of pick up the story for us from there.
2: Well, like you said, from South Dakota to Illinois, that's already a long drive. And we kind of did it just straight shot. So we were already pretty anxious to get off the bus at any given point if we could. So all of us, you know, we wanted to get off the bus, stretch our legs, get some fresh air after being compacted on the bus for so long. I remember I got off the bus with one of my friends. And we got off and we were talking for a little bit and then we finally went back on. I was the last one to hop back on the bus and my coach she asked if I wanted to do um, a selfie or upload to the team Instagram page and I was forced stoked because this is my you know my time and I kind of do like being a center of attention when it comes to representing our school. so I was very eager to go take a, take a picture and I saw a sign and I was like oh this should be perfect. After that, I got to the sign. I took the picture, and then, you know, the events that followed immediately after just really changed everything from that dynamics of what we had on the bus originally. Yeah.
1: What What happened then? I mean, if you, if, as you kind of recount or re- recall the events, you know, what happened to you?
2: Well, I took maybe a couple steps after taking the picture, and. Um, I saw police cars screeching down the highway, the same side that we were on. And then I remember my coach yelling at me to, you know, suggesting I should come back in on the bus. And um, before I knew it, there was just officers, you know, surrounding me, telling me, get on the ground, uh, don't move. And it kind of like clicked for me at that moment that I had my phone in my hand, of course. And I just, without even knowing, uh, just thought back to what my dad told me, which was I uh, dropped my phone, put my hands in the ah. air and uh, proceeded ah. to get on the ground before I even initially heard them say it just so I could, you know, calm the situation as best as I could before they ever, ever became a problem.
1: So, and, but then the officers, they, they put you on the ground. What, what they do next?
2: Well, next was one of the officers put a up to my head and told me to stop moving. And if I, if I kept moving, he'd blow my head off. So it was, Kind of that moment right there that just really put the perspective of life really right there in front of me. After that, it wasn't so much of a fear that I was running through my body anymore. It wasn't anger or anything. It was more so just like, wow, like I'm doing everything I possibly could be doing right. And I'm still, you know, getting aggression towards me.
1: So at that point then, like did your teammates, the coach, the driver of the bus, did somebody come out and wonder what was going on?
2: Actually, both my uh, my, co- my head coach and my bus driver uh, they got off the bus to try to you know solve the situation and bring it to a calmness. Um, but some of the most of the officers that were on the scene just kind of weren't really willing to listen, and um, kind of made it very difficult for them to get the get my side of the story out to them to let them know that I was a swimmer, I was with them, I was getting off the bus with from them. So yeah, they both did make an attempt to try to help in calm the situation. And then let me just ask
1: too, how were you, you dressed? Did you have like your gear on from the swim team?
2: I did, I actually had on a white EIU swimming shirt, my EIU swimming parka, my EIU swimming shoes. So I was pretty much fully kitted out in EIU swimming gear because you know, we're coming back from a big swim meet, you wanna represent your school. Um, so I I love my school. I have school of pride. So I'll wear, you, you know, i used them in socks if they had them. So. so let me just pause
1: for just a second. I, I just want to ask you, Rachel, you're a lawyer. You deal with lots of different clients and lots of different cases. What did you think the first time you ever heard this, the events that, that, that transpired here and what happened to Jalen?
0: The initial reaction is just, you're like heartbroken to hear what he's gone through. Um, You're infuriated. And then the next thing is that you're also kind of not surprised because we know that this kind of thing does happen so often to young black men of color, especially, to actually hear him describe what he experienced. Um, And as Jalen mentioned, you know, he was doing Everything right, you know. Sometimes you hear these stories, and people try to justify the officer's behavior in one way or another. That's also, you know, incredibly infuriating. But here, there was nothing else, you know, that Jalen could have done to prevent this, and so that's where you really feel like he was so wrong. His rights were violated so blatantly, and we have to do something.
1: Yeah. So Jalen, you're you're on the ground. The coach and the bus driver are saying, he's with us, what's going on here? How did the officers, you know, you've been threatened with violence. Like how did the officers then react?
2: It was more so of like, I hear you, but I don't hear you. That's kind of how I interpreted it. I remember instinctively that they were, you know, they were telling them like, you know, he's, this is my swimmer, this is Jalen Butler. The situation I thought once they heard that, would have been just squared away. they were like, okay, well, this is your guy. I'm sorry. You know, it was misunderstanding. But the situation actually took the opposite direction and feel like they realized that since, you know, they had their own person, they had to do something else, which was not to let me go. So they actually tried to uh, detain me for resisting arrest. Of course I wasn't. So, yeah.
1: They actually put you in a, a squad car for a bit, right?
2: They did, yes. What was it like sitting in there? You must have been wondering what the heck was going on. I was very confused. I didn't, at that point, I didn't know what to think anymore. I didn't know, you know, what to say. I asked for badge numbers. I couldn't get anything, you know, doing anything, everything I could that my parents taught me if I ever had a situation like this, it just seemed like everything I tried didn't go my way. Yeah.
1: And how did the, how did this situation ultimately kind of end or, or, you know, how was it you were ultimately released?
2: I was officially uh, released from the squad car after my um, coach came over. She was talking to one of the officers. She was, you know, really pleading my case for me. And they eventually decided to let me go if I stopped and promised to stop refusing, resisting arrest. They let me back on to my bus, but eventually, before they did that, they had to see a form of identification from me, I guess, for me to prove that I was Jalen Butler, even though that I had everyone telling them they were, I was. So I got back on the bus, did that, and, you now they left the scene. And, and then you had the
1: ride home from there with your teammates.
2: Mm-hmm. Which was... Probably, I look back on it, that was probably the most heartbreaking uh, moment of that entire situation because me and my teammates, we butt heads, but that's what you do with teammates sometimes. You know, you, At the end of the day, you guys are all family on the same team, grinding down the same practices. And I remember we were just having the time of our lives. We just have, we, Most of us, the biggest class being freshmen, we just finished our first collegiate season. So our energy is through the roof. We're having a great time. Um, We had movies going on, music blasts, and just, you know, typical, you know, just finished college season. After starting the bus ride back up after the incident, the happy vibes, the laughter, the smiles was just filled with just heads down, quietness. No one was saying a word. And I remember sitting there on the bus and I was thinking, I know I'm fine, but I can actually feel everyone else around me not. So I decided to take it upon myself to make sure that my team is okay and let them know that, you know, we still have a bus ride left. You know, I know what we just saw was pretty hard, but I'm okay. You guys are okay. You know, let's try to get things back to how they were before we stopped. Wow. Rachel,
1: look, we know that black men are much more likely to be stopped by police, whether in a car or on foot, we know that Black men are much more likely to be arrested. That When you hear like this circumstance, are, are Black men just much more likely to be treated in this way? Is, is, is that as is, is plain as it can be?
0: I think, unfortunately, that's what the data and a lot of the stories show us, that for some reason, Black men are subjected to this kind of treatment and these kinds of stops so much more frequently. And there isn't an equal amount of justification that explains those racial disparities. And, you know, as Jalen described, he they realized right away they had the wrong person, and yet they didn't just immediately let him go. So, you know, you just have to kind of question, like, what is the purpose of that? And something that we see not just in the area, you know, by the departments that stopped Jalen, but not just in Illinois, but across the country. And this is, you know, not a new story either. And so we have to look at and ask, why is this happening? Why are, you know, certain people treated so differently everywhere? Um, it's just, it's really, really concerning and heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. So, Jalen, you get back to school, this is over. How, how did you react to this? I mean, what impact did it have on you?
2: I. So for as long as I can remember, I've always been the type of person to bury stuff that's been traumatic for me. I would I probably say since birth, I've been that way because it's felt so like so long. So I was originally not even going to tell my mom until the next day because I didn't want her to worry. It was late at night. And um, my coach actually, you know, she pushed me. She urged me. She's like, this is something that you probably should tell your mom right away and not let her find out for someone else. So I did that. I thought I went to sleep. You know, I thought I was fine. Woke up for class the next day at 8 a.m., went to it. And this was actually one of my favorite classes that semester, is one of my um, geological understanding classes. So we were just talking about weather, stuff like that, you know, the geographics of the country. And I really enjoyed this class because I love nature and just everything we did in there was fun. I remember sitting down uh, at the start of class and I remember opening my notebook and I remember seeing my wrist. From the night before, very bruised up, and I just, it stopped me dead in my tracks. And before I knew it, it class was over, and I had missed everything. I didn't take any notes. It was just a trance that I was in, and that's when I knew that I wasn't actually okay as I thought I was.
1: And so at some point then, and I wonder at what point, you decided that a lawsuit was really the best thing for you to do. What What kind of motivated that for you?
2: What mainly pushed me was the fact that that incident happened to me and then I look back on all the countless other incidents that I've seen or heard about and, you know, it just made me like, wow, like this is something that does happen to anyone and everyone. And it pushed me to want to promote awareness for it because I feel like a lot of people don't know or understand how frequently it happens to people out there and... It pushed me to want to say something about my case and, you know, just have the officers take accountability.
1: Rachel, is that that notion of the accountability, is that sort of what drove you and the ACLU to want to file this? Like, was that a hard process to put together to get the suit on file?
0: It's... Raising awareness and holding these officers accountable is definitely the reason why we felt we needed to bring this lawsuit. Um, You know, the ACLU of Illinois doesn't bring a lot of individual damages cases for policing actions tends to be more injunctive relief, you know, trying to stop a policy or enact policy, something broader like that. But what we saw in Jalen's case is that this is something that's so pervasive that happens to so many people. That people don't realize happens so frequently. And that was really important for people to understand the harm that is caused to people who are subjected to this kind of treatment. Because if you don't know about it, you won't care about it, you won't do anything to try and change it. And you know, this is just something that we really felt was important. This was Jalen's case was so important and we really thought that a lawsuit will help bring some accountability to these officers or departments and really raise awareness to the broader public about um, these kinds of stops.
1: The lawsuit is resolved now and, you know, is is complete. Do you feel, let me start with you, Rachel, do you feel like you accomplished that goal of, of looking for accountability?
0: I think that when the case was first on file and um, started getting some attention. You know, there were there was a couple articles about it. And then it really, really gained momentum and, you know, got national coverage. So many people heard Jalen's story. And I think that right there was, you know, that's the ultimate goal is for people to understand the impact of these kinds of interactions and how often they happen and really want to be part of that you know, effort to change police behavior, police discipline, things like that, so that this doesn't continue to happen. Jalen was just such a strong advocate for himself throughout all of that. He's an incredibly resilient person. And as he described, wanting to make sure that everybody else on his team was okay. You know, he's just such an incredible person, such a, a brave person to put his story out there and to do it so that hopefully it doesn't happen to somebody else in the future. And so I think, you know, just by him filing the lawsuit and being brave enough to share his story was already, you know, helping raise awareness um, and moving the needle along to, to change these kinds of police behavior.
1: Jalen, now that the suit is over, do you feel like you accomplished your goal of holding the officers accountable and,
2: and raising awareness in the way that Rachel describes? Yes, I do. I didn't fully understand how I did that until a couple, I want say maybe a couple months. Actually back, you know, the start of my second year of school, um, when I went back and the entire Edson team, you know, I, was talking to me about Stuff that you know happened. You know they were asking me questions on you know what could they what could they have done to try to prevent it, or um, just asking different questions. And they were making the effort to bridge the gap of understanding and trying to figure out like what they could do to make a change themselves. And that's when I kind of knew that I was you know making a form of a, a difference yeah
1: so you know I want to just ask you as well, a few months after the lawsuit was filed, the world saw the George floyd murder on on videotape, and you know you came to us and said you really wanted to say something about that, given your own experience and I wonder if you could just share you know what you wanted to say and why it was so
2: important in that moment for me it was it was too. It felt too real. It felt like my incident had happened all over again once I saw the news. And it kind of just broke me down because I realized that, you know, I also had the same action happen to me. And the only difference was I got to go home and, you know, see my loved ones and Mr. Floyd didn't. And it really just kind of broke my heart because there are many cases like that where it's happened. And I've done my own research, where I've looked at similar cases to mine. and. You know, there aren't many few that I can find that have gone to speak about theirs. And I wanted to say something about it because it just needs to be put into, like, motion and put into the spot like that. there are very few cases where incidents like this happen and the person comes out alive or unharmed.
1: Yeah. Rachel, I guess in your mind, as you think about about this case and about others, what do we
2: do to
1: change policing in the United States so this doesn't happen?
0: I think it all starts locally. It's something, you know, that everyone can start paying attention to what's happening in their local communities, start getting involved however they can, you know, attending meetings, paying attention to ordinances or local legislation or policies that are being passed, um, also on the county and state level. It's just, it takes, it's going to take all of us to be paying attention and to be advocating for change. And the more you can educate yourself and get involved and support the things that you believe in that will help create positive change. There is so much that can be done and that needs to be done. And it will really take um, all of us working together.
1: You know, Jalen, as we as we wrap up this conversation, i I'm, I just wonder as you reflect, you've been through this horrible situation. You you decided to seek accountability for it. You've gotten through that. I wonder what lessons you draw from it and sort of whether I guess to be blunt, whether or not it's changed you in any
2: way. I could 110% say that it has. I look back on myself before that night in general and I look at myself every day and I just realized that I actually put it this way, I was a boy before that night happened and I now consider myself a man because it happened and it put me through those lessons. It prompted me to be more aware, um, to be more willing to understand, to more willing to listen to my parents. It shaped me into wanted to put a stop altogether to police incidences like this happening. It just put me on a different path and this path that I'm on now, and I love it. Do you think that those are less, I, I suspect you think
1: those are lessons you're gonna carry with
2: you for the rest of your life? Yes, and I hope to be able to share these lessons with as many people as I possibly can. If I could just
1: say personally, and I think on behalf of the ACLU, Just the fact that you shared your voice, that you shared your experience and advocated in this way, I do think makes a difference. I think it makes a difference for everybody who got to hear your story. And I hope it does. I guess I hope it does make a difference for some police just to think about the way in which they behave as well. Well, listen, I want to thank you both for joining us today and for sharing so much, Jalen, about your story in particular, I, I know it's never easy to to sort of recount this and rehash this, but it's really wonderful that you were willing to come on and, and talk about this in this way. And, you know, I j- just close by saying that I wish you nothing but luck in the future. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on here again and see you guys. And Rachel, thank you. Thank you. That's our episode for today. If you want more information about Jalen's case or our work on policing in Illinois, you can find it on our website at www.aclu-il.org. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Our content supervisor is Kimberly Coziel. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. You can, again, get more information about the work we're doing in Illinois at aclu-il.org. You can contact us directly via email at talkingliberties, all one word, at aclu-il.org. Until next time, this is Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. We'll talk to you soon.